everyone, and welcome back to Moving Right Along, Muppet Movie Podcast, brought to you by ToughPigs.com. It's the podcast where we watch the Muppet movie and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Anthony Strand. And I'm your other host, Ryan Rowe. And joining us today is... Hi, it's Joe Hennis. I'm a co-owner of ToughPigs.com, and I'm also here. That's who it is. Joe, you came back! I'm so glad you came back for a second week! I actually, I never went anywhere. I've been waiting here for this entire week here on this podcast. Just been sitting right next to the to the dictaphone, <laughs> your tape machine. That's, right. That's, that's how I communicate. <laughs> and you're back. So, uh, what what are we looking at today, Ryan? Yeah, uh, let me tell you what we're looking at. Uh, we are looking at minutes five and six, in which the opening credits continue to roll. Kermit starts to sing Rainbow Connection, and uh, the, the snippet cuts him off just as he's saying, look what it. That's very precise. Yes, thank you. It, I also wrote that thank down in my, in my notes. Look what it. Look I what did it not. What? I'm the only one. Everyone will just have to wait until next episode to find oh. out what it will do. Find out in one week what it will do. Yeah. So, so those so lyrics... <laughs> Those lyrics are part of the Rainbow Connection, which is a song written by the two gentlemen whose names are on the screen at the beginning of the snippet, and that would be Paul Williams and Kenny Asher. So, first of all, I want to talk about how we Muppet fans have a tendency to talk about the songs from this movie as though they were just written by Paul Williams. Right? Yeah, yeah, I don't it's know always, how that happened always... or, or why that happened. Well, because Paul Williams is responsible for the lyrics, and... That tends to be the thing that people cling to more, when, especially when talking about something like this, where like the words have such meaning to us. The the credit doesn't well, say right. I mean, lyrics true, but... by Paul Williams, though. It says music and lyrics by Paul Williams and Kenny Asher. And when Paul Williams talks about these songs, he generally talks about them as a collaboration between the two of them. Right. Well, and I, I mean, I think if you look at some other famous songwriting teams, for example... Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. Alan Menken is the is the music guy. He's the melody guy. But everybody knows who he is. Right. You know, nobody says Little Mermaid songs by Howard Ashman. Right. I mean, and the other thing is, is like Paul Williams was already an established celebrity at this point. I think that's probably what it is. He everyone just has seen Paul Williams more than they know who Kenny Asher is. Right. Well, and and also for for Muppet fans specifically. I think he was on the Muppet Show. He had already done the songs for Emmett Otter's Judd Van Christmas. He would go on to do the songs for obviously Muppet Christmas Carol and everyone's favorite letters to Santa. Indeed. So, like, yeah, he was always a very good friend to the Muppets. Right. He was just at their live shows at the Hollywood Bowl. Um, Kenny Asher, this is it. This is his only Muppet work, right? As far as I know, yeah. I mean, I couldn't even tell you what the guy looks like. I mean, you know, well, I I, documentaries and stuff. actually, it's it's uh, funny. One thing that I wanted to mention: um, I once went to a concert by Keely Smith, who was. Uh, I mean, I think she's still alive, as far as I know. But she's uh, a singer who I believe was married to Louis Prima and uh, recorded a few songs with him. She's actually on the recording of uh, that old Black Magic that they used on Salmon Friends. But anyway, uh, before oh. Keeley Smith actually came out to sing, her band sort of did an opening act. And at one point, uh, the the guy who was sort of uh, 
sort of emceeing the thing said, all right, so now we're going to have uh, our piano player, Kenny, uh, take the spotlight. He's going to play his best known song. He wrote this song. Maybe you've heard it. And the guy sits down at the piano and starts playing the Rainbow Connection. And I went, whoa. And you flipped out. Uh, yeah, I went, whoa, that's Kenny Asher. And then Kenny Asher stopped playing and said, wait, someone knows me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Kid, who are you? And yet I couldn't tell you um, now what he looked like. I think he has a beard. Well, I just looked at his Wikipedia page earlier today. And at least in that photo, he does not have a beard. And he kind of looks like, I don't know, David Strathairn? Kind of a David Strathairn type? <laughs> oh, interesting. David Strathairn. Um, so when a casting director says, get me a yeah, David Strathairn you know, type, they're going to call Kenny Asher. They're going to call Kenny Asher. Yeah. Um, so anyway, and I also looked it up. It looks like he's written a lot of jazz compositions on his own. Yes. As well as many collaborations with Hollywood. Yeah, well, they wrote You and Me so he, Against the World together uh, a few years before this movie, which is, you know, probably one of the reasons that they, they got involved together on this. So he was the you in You and Me, and Paul was he the was. me. And all the rest of and us then, were and, the world. And Kermit sang that song on The Muppet Show with Helen Reddy. Nice. Oh, and doesn't, didn't Johnny Fiamma sing that on The Muppets Tonight? That is very possible. I think so. I don't have Johnny. I don't remember Johnny Fiamma's catalog as well as Kermit. Uh, yeah. Johnny Fiamma discography. Yeah. Um, but he, and then but, he also wrote all the songs for the Barbra Streisand version of A Star Is Born. So he's had an interesting career. But they did that together too. Paul Williams famously wrote Evergreen, right? Oh, I don't know. But there you go. Your notes are obviously more thorough than mine. I guess so. Um, one of the things that I'm kind of interested about in this, in, the, in these minutes, is that a lot of these credits are people who don't, who ne- this was their only interaction with the Muppets, is the Muppet movie. Several yeah, of the people we're going to talk about coming up. Yeah. And Kenny Asher is one of them. So I want to note that Kenny Asher is still alive and is still working. Yes. Um, you know, still touring. You, you, you saw him however long ago, you know, but he's, he's still out there. Yeah, that was, I don't know, maybe seven years, I'm going to guess. But uh, yeah, that's, that's good that he's, he's still out there and still working. Um, so we can move on to the next credit, which is film editor Chris Greenberry. Uh, this is one of his earliest credits on IMDb. Well, I looked it up. It's actually his first feature. Oh, he there had you done go. some shorts and some TV. But, and he, he went on to have a very long and successful career after that. Yeah, um, he's done mostly... Or I, I believe he's no longer with us, uh, but he, he did mostly comedies. Yes, and specifically, he he worked with the Fairley Brothers for years. He was the editor on Dumb and Dumber, Kingpin, There's Something About Mary, Me, Myself, and Irene, Shallow Hal. Stuck on You. Stuck on You, yeah. So it's so strange to me, reading all those credits, that the same guy who edited, like, I would never in a hundred years have watched There's Something About Mary and thought, boy, this editing reeks of the Muppet movie. <laughs> Yeah, sure it, is familiar, <laughs> yeah, it's funny how you don't really pay attention to these because exactly because what of what you said, these are not people who work with the Muppets again. So we just kind of like how many times have we seen this movie and seen the name Chris Greenberry come up on the screen, but it's just never right. really registered itself in our brains. Well, right, I, I, just... I'll also say that uh, when I was a kid, I would fast forward to this section, like just oh. get to the frogs. Sure. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Oh, um, so, also, so, 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 not a lot of times did I 
want to see his name and wonder who he is. We should note that he was nominated for an Oscar for editing American Beauty. Yeah, which is a real departure from the rest of his uh, right, his right, credits. right, smack, smack in the middle of that run of Fairly Brothers. Yeah, and this huh. coming Is after he had done stuff like, so he did Smokey and the Bandit three, Haunted Honeymoon, Naked Gun two and a half, Loaded Weapon one, Biodome, Booty Call, and then there's <laughs> American Beauty. You, you know, you know what's great? You listed all those. Actually, in my notes, I also have. Serendipity, Wild Hogs, and Dr. Detroit. There you go. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So, very, yeah. You know, good for him. And he got to edit the yeah. Muppets. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, he, he got to edit the Muppets, and he was nominated for an Oscar. So he, he did just fine. We'll talk about him more uh, when we do our Biodome podcast. Yes. <laughs> and if we had infinite time, we would go through all of his credits and try to find uh, what all the various Muppet connections are. In the cast right, which, of those movies, but which, we don't have infinite time. There are uh, many. Oh, and and by the way, Joe, um, I think that our Biodome podcast should be called Kicker Party, a Biodome podcast. Great. I'm in. Because they talk about going to a kegger party. Yes. Um, I bet I would really <laughs> like that joke if I had ever seen Biodome. We should watch I, saw it. It so many, I saw it so many times as a kid, and it's yeah. so bad. Me too. What, it, what is it rated? It's rated PG, no. weirdly. Oh, that it's is weird. Huh. <laughs> yeah, it's because it, I mean, it's, it's. I mean, it's. They're really going for like the Bill and Ted audience, I think. Yeah, obviously. You know? um, anyways, Look William Atherton is the bad guy. <laughs> so I'm sorry, William Atherton. I'm done. All right, go on. <laughs> Who's next, Ryan? Who's the, the next, next credit? The next credit is production designer Joel Schiller. He doesn't have a lot of especially high-profile credits, um, at least on IMDb. Um, his, his credits do include Lenny, the Buddy Holly story, the big bus, which is the sort of infamous, uh, airplane on a bus knockoff. And we should, um, we should note that the big bus, uh, is directed by James Frawley. Oh, that's right. That explains it. Yeah. And, and actually it's not an airplane knockoff because it came out four years before air. (laughs) Oh, wait, then what am I thinking of? You think it's a it's a disaster movie spoof. It just predates airplane. Okay, what about Super Train? Did that come out after Airplane? Um, uh, yeah, I think so. That was the NBC miniseries or whatever. Oh, I think that's then, like, then that's not what I was thinking of. Then I have no idea what I was thinking of. Oh yeah, the the big bus is a disaster movie spoof, so it's possible that you saw it at some point and assumed it was an airplane knockoff. Yeah, that's probably it. But it, it so where's predates all this? <laughs> Uh, as far as I know, Joel Schiller did not work on Biodome, but um, w- one of his other credits that I did notice was the horrible Vonnegut adaptation, Slapstick of Another Kind, starring have, Jerry Lewis and Madeline Kahn. I've never seen that. It's an adaptation of one of Vonnegut's uh, less brilliant books. So, yeah, I can only imagine that uh, Joel Schiller did the best job that he could but it apparently still didn't turn out so great right um and and joel schiller did pass away earlier this year january 17 2017 at the age of 86 oh, wow i didn't know that did probably all get together and watch the big bus in his honor or, or the we, movie. yeah we can just watch this again or we can just watch the Muppet movie sure so then uh we're moving on to the next credit which is director of photography Isidore Mankowski. I noticed looking over his 
IMDb that he mostly worked in TV. He did a lot of TV, including several of the 80s magical world of Disney TV movies, uh, which are near and dear to my heart because that was right in my like childhood Disney fandom. So like he did uh, the the now little remembered Nutty Professor TV movie with Harry Anderson and uh, the Parent Trap three and a bunch of other stuff like that. Oh, wow. Um, Also, uh, Columbo, Magnum P.I. Yeah. And. And to to tie this back to our inspiration podcast, Ewoks Battle for Endor. Ah, yes. <laughs> now, is that the f- is that the first one or the second one? That's the first one, I believe. So, Caravan of Courage okay. is the second one. I can never. Caravan remember. of Courage is the second one. Yeah, it, okay. yeah, I believe so. Um, but also, his he did do a few other features, including Somewhere in Time, the nineteen eighty jazz singer with Neil Diamond. And Better Off Dead and One Crazy Summer. The two wow. movies directed by Savage Steve Hall. Yeah, yeah. which uh, Better Off Dead is a great one. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And, of course, he also was the director of photography for A Very Brady Christmas. Oh, was he? Really? I didn't notice that one. I glossed yep. over that one. Yeah, that's a classic. Um, um, although, I, I do, I do want to step back to Better Off Dead for a second, just to ask, do you think Isidore Mankowski got his $2? I hope God, so. I hope so. Okay. <laughs> so, who, what what Joker is up next? Next up is executive producer Martin Starger. We've already seen his name. Yeah, I think we covered uh, him last week is as it, well as we're going to. Was it Starger or Starger, by the way? I think you said Starger last time. I, I said Starger, but I'm just guessing. I yeah. don't I don't. Okay, so I think we covered his credits. Mm-hmm. If anyone doesn't remember, they can either go back and listen to last week's episode, or they can uh, look him up on IMDb or Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Or just forget about it, because who cares? Aw. Just forget about old Martin Starger. Martin Starger had a Sorry, family. Martin. Has a family. Martin Starger. <laughs> uh, um, so hey. then, this is when the, uh, the uh, clouds part and the rainbow sort of fades away. And we start uh, we start this very big epic uh, helicopter shot on the swamp. Which, by the way, every time I see this movie and you see the sun's reflection on the uh, on the swamp, it looks like an oil spill to me. Yeah, yeah, it does look kind of slick. Yeah, it looks like something might be on the water. Um, So one note here from the uh, night. The, the June 12th, 1978 draft of the screenplay. Originally, the movie was going to start with a shot of the entire universe, like presumably just huh. like stars and constellations and planets. Um, the, the script says the endless reaches of outer space. Then very gradually in what appears to be one continuous shot, we move into one particular galaxy... And uh, from there, the shot would zoom in on the planet Earth, and then on the Western Hemisphere, and then on the United States, and finally into a swamp in the Deep South. Wow. That's it's, uh, it, needlessly epic. It would have been really cool, but it, I think this is another one of those examples of let's kind of just get to the point. Um, it's interesting to me that it, the script says appears to be one continuous shot from space, because in my mind, it's always one continuous sh- shot from the sky to Kermit, but watching it today, it's not. No, it's not. It it pans down for a while, then it cuts to the swamp, and then it pans in on Kermit again. 
But right. there's a very, very clear cut that my mind just forgets about. There's a, a subtle dissolve that I probably didn't notice until I had seen this movie at least a dozen times. Well, but the dissolve works so well because you're looking through the clouds. Right, yeah. right. Well, yeah, that's so the first dissolve, and then later there's another one going into yeah. to where Kermit yeah. is. True, yeah, from, from the helicopter shop to the, to the swamp. Uh, what, what I was going to say earlier, though, so I, I took a script writing class in college, so, so of course I'm an expert. Uh, and uh, <laughs> the uh, one thing that we learned was about how important the very, what, what, the very first thing that you see in a film is and how it really sets up a lot of either the tone or the thesis statements or the overall plot or, or whatever it is. And, I mean, we're talking about literally the first frame. This is a weird movie because we've got the actual beginning of the film and then the beginning of the film within the film. And I wasn't on your first episode of the podcast, so I can't really speak to the first one, but the, you know, the film within the film, and, and as well as what, Ryan, you were just talking about with the script starting in outer space, it's like, what exactly is Jim or, or you know, um, James Frawley, uh, the director, trying to say with this idea that, like, we're starting in, in the sky or in outer space or heaven or whatever and then coming down to uh to the ground level reality i guess i think that the kermit is not just kermit's story is universal i really do i think that's yeah that's that's pretty much what i was thinking like he it's it's starting from a a very big place like kermit is going to go on this big journey but then it you know it zooms in and he's he's just one frog in the swamp yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Good answer. I mean, it, I mean, if you will, it starts when he's a kid, a show off at school. All right. Whatever. Again, that sounds yeah. familiar. Uh, but we're also, and, and this um, uh, this version, as opposed to the script version, makes more sense because we, we are going back to that rainbow motif over and over again. So even though we are starting in the clouds, really, we're starting in a rainbow. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Down to where the beginning thing was, that is eventually going to be, you know. Uh, a, a cornucopia of of Muppet characters and and dreams and entertainment. Ooh, yeah. 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 Also, uh, nobody wanted to hear a song called "The Cloud Connection." <laughs> no, it's about how you can't connect to the cloud because you affect the cloud. Oh, Ooh. oh, it was way ahead of his time. It was way yeah. ahead of his time. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I also want to say when we get so when the when the camera goes down and we we go from the helicopter shop shot into the swamp and we hear Kermit's banjo playing and we hear him start to sing. I always had this like, where's Waldo in my head where if I can see, like I see if I can spot Kermit literally every single time. I can never remember where he is. Yeah. I don't see him. Yeah. It's such a wide shot. It takes a minute to find him. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes it that much more impressive that, you know, it's, it makes it obvious like, Oh wow. They really got this Muppet on a log in the middle of a real swamp or what appears right, to be a real right, swamp. Yeah. Right. That's true. Clear, clearly do not just... We're used to the Muppets being so in your face, as we saw in last week's episode. Uh, and to have something that's so overly subtle, like it's like beyond subtle, like it's almost so subtle it's hidden. It doesn't seem very Muppety, but of course it makes you know a ton of sense in context. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, this is... I mean, like, as we, as many listeners might know, they had done camera tests outside to see how the Muppets were going to look out in the real world. 
So this isn't just the first shot of the movie within the movie. This is the first time the audience is ever seeing the Muppet out in the real world. Yeah, that's a really good point. Unless you count Dog Lion or Statler Waldorf. Right, right. Yeah, but that's not even world. That's that's a set of a fake movie studio. Yeah. Right. I mean, we have Sesame Street and things like that, you know, but Sesame Street, it's certainly in the 70s, is mostly shot in the studio, you know. Yeah. I mean, later on, there would be things like Big Bird in China, but that hadn't happened yet. It's on a TV screen. Like, we're talking about, like, a feature film. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were really going yeah. big when they got when they got to this. Right, they um, pulled all the stuff. It, it's the Muppet movie. It's not it's not a Muppet movie. We don't know if there's going to be another one. And it's not right? the Muppet thing that you're watching. It's the Muppet movie. It's a major motion picture. Right, that's right. right. They're, they're upgrading from this uh, stage show that we've been watching for the last few years. Yeah, we do have uh, I think two more credits. Uh, the one right. is. Producer Jim Henson. I think we all know who who that guy was. Uh, um, that's the same. That's the same guy from last week, right? Yes, uh, he did a bunch of uh, coffee commercials in Washington D.C. and things like oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, although we we should say that, like, I think people often assume he directed this movie. Yeah, that's and, probably true. And my understanding is that he served a very similar behind the scenes function here as what he did on the Muppet Show, which he also never directed. Which is yeah. that like, he was he was in charge of operations. He was yeah. He was sold. He was in charge of right. He was making sure that everything went smoothly. He was he was the guy who like knew the Muppets inside and out, obviously. Right. But especially in these days, before he started moving on to, you know, the fantasy stuff in the eighties, he's like really the guy on the floor, right? Yeah, and he yeah. wasn't. So he wasn't like setting up shots necessarily, but he was still sort of making all the the big decisions. I assume. Right. So the next credit is written by Jerry Jewell and Jack Burns. And it is the word and, which I assume that in 1979 it was still, uh, or it was already the way it is today, where the word and means they worked on separate drafts of the script. Right. Um, as opposed to writing together. Right. I, I have always loved that the Muppet movie is recredited to the, the only two people who were ever the head writer of the Muppet show. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jack Burns was the head writer for season one, and Jerry Jewell was, of course, the head writer for season two through five. Uh, but I, I did just learn that uh, that Jack Burns appeared in the pilot for Jim Henson's Puppet Man. Yes, oh, he yeah. is in Puppet Man. So there we go. He did work with them again. Right. Right. This is his last writing credit with them. But yeah, I forgot about yeah. that too. Um, and we should mention that Jack Burns is perhaps best known as a comedian. Uh, stand-up comic, a duo with Avery Schreiber, who was a Muppet Show guest. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was around, He was on the Andy Griffith Show for a season. He hosted SNL one time. Like, I mean, he was he was around. You know, it was... Apparently, he had a short-lived comedy duo with George Carlin. I did not know that. Huh. huh. I also did not know that. That's, I'm reading that on, on the Muppet Wiki, so, you know, uh, it must be huh. true. Yeah, and right. evidence suggests that he was the one who came up with uh, the name Gags Beasley for Fozzie's comedy writer, because uh, after writing for The Muppet Show for a season, he when he hosted SNL, in one sketch he played a comedy writer named Gags Beasley. Nice. Right, so clearly this was something in his mind. So then the, the other co-writer of the film is Jerry Jewell, who I think we, like, hardcore Muppet fans, feel like 
is a legend and everybody knows who that is, many casual Muppet fans probably have never heard the name Gary. That's probably true, no, and it's they, a shame. They, they so, probably would credit him for all their favorite things that the Muppets have ever done. Right, right. He, he was a writer on the Muppet Show the whole time, head writer for the last four seasons, head writer for Fraggle Rock the entire time, and uh, co-wrote five out of the six Muppet movies released in his lifetime, which he, he died in 2005. But, and he and wrote he, and, uh, various he wrote, specials and... Right. Yes. He wrote Muppet Family Christmas, which a lot of people credit as their favorite Muppet thing, uh, was was written by him, which is just a, an epic of Muppet propor- proportions. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's his masterpiece. Did you like that? Did you like that, um, that, that spoonerism I just did? Yeah, I had to think about I it did, for a second, good. but I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was an excellent. It was good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he he did not write Muppets Take Manhattan, but he wrote the other five. Of the like, he's credited on the Muppet movie, Great Muppet Caper, Christmas Carol, Treasure Island, and Muppets from Space. Amazing. The last Muppets from Space, especially, I don't know how much it was actually his work, but he is credited on five theatrical Muppets as a writer. Yeah, that's impressive. Crazy. That so, that would be a good trivia question too. Is uh, that I should keep a running list of things that seem to me like good trivia questions uh, on this show, but um to ask a Muppet fan which uh, of the of those six movies uh, did Jerry Jewell not have a writing credit on. But, and I again, this is maybe a topic for two years from now when we're talking about Muppet, Muppet Steve Manhattan, but I always assumed he was busy with Fraggle Rock and that's why he didn't work on that film. Yeah, I mean, the timing. But I don't, I don't know that to be true. Yeah. That's a really good guess. Uh, yeah. All right, so we got still a lot of this snippet left to go. Uh, the next credit is directed by James Frawley, who we've talked about a little bit. Um, one thing, one thing that really impressed me looking up James Frawley's career. So he also mostly works in television. He made a few yeah. features, um, but he mostly worked in TV. His TV directing career spans from The Monkees to Grey's Anatomy. Oh wow! Which seems impossible to me like yeah. he's still alive it seems like he's retired his last credits are some Grey's and adams i think the newest one was 2009 but mm. um yeah so he directed i mean in between he did that girl colombo magnum pi cagney and lacy law and order judging amy ed smallville all kinds of stuff he did the pilot for ally McBeal. um a lot of shows you know a wide variety of shows, yeah, and a few features as well, but nothing, nothing especially notable. We we mentioned the big bus, but uh, his his other features include a a tennis drama starring Bo Bridges called The Christian Licorice Store, which is an amazing title. What a weird title! Uh, a heist caper starring Dennis Hopper called Kid Blue, and only one movie after the Muppet movie, uh, a farce called Fraternity Vacation which Roger Ebert described as a dumb sex comedy. That came <laughs> it out sounds in, uh, like that a came dumb sex comedy. I'm also learning right now that um, Jim Henson hired Jim, uh, uh, James Frawley uh, after seeing his work on The Monkees because he thought that was a, the, the kind of humor that, uh, that he wanted for The Muppets. Yeah, it does seem sense. like a, a good fit, like a uh, genuinely funny comedy and, and you know musical numbers that were interesting to watch. Right. Well, and the, I mean, that, the, the monkeys was single camera. So it's yeah. not like a, 
shot in front of an audience show. It, it had a lot of special effects work. You know, characters yeah. were always like popping out of the frame, or you know what I mean? Like items would disappear or whatever. They did that kind of joke a lot. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it, it lines up really well. Yeah. So, cool. yeah. James Frawley, who, um, have you guys ever heard him talk about the Muppet movie? I never have, and I'd really like to read. I, I'm reading like, on the movie right now. Apparently, he was interviewed in 2007, and he talks briefly about about getting getting the job. That's where that's where I'm learning this thing about the monkeys. But but that's okay. uh, I mean, I, not as far as I know. If anyone knows how to get in touch with him, let us know. We'll we'll interview him. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, and then so as we mentioned earlier, this helicopter shot continues down to the swamp. Uh, we got trees and water, and then there's the very subtle dissolve that we mentioned from the wider uh, helicopter shot into the uh, the the area swamp. where yeah, I mean we're already in the swamp, but into from outside the swamp to the inside of the swamp where Kermit is. Right. Uh, uh, on his log, and yeah, Kermit's he, on log, and, and Jim is in a in a tank underneath. Right. Yeah, that's called a bathysphere, and uh, apparently he was in that for for many hours. Uh, it's a good thing he wasn't claustrophobic. Yeah. Well, and like you mentioned, many hours. Like it's crazy because this scene seems like it's so simple, right? Like watching it on the screen. There's no, nobody else on screen. It's just Kermit. But yeah. Kermit is not an actor. Kermit is a puppet being held up by a man in a tank submerged in water. That's a really good point. It would be so simple for an actor to just sit on a log and sing. But it takes so many people and so much preparation and just the the technical, uh, all the technical preparation to get a frog puppet to sit on a log and sing. Why didn't you right. just hide behind something? He had to put himself in a tank. Why do it the easy way? <laughs> That's a good, good question. I think because they wanted it to look like Kermit was really sitting out in the middle of the swamp. Oh, of course. He's, you know, like he, he's not like near the shore, you know? Yeah. He's like uh, on a floating log, as far as we can tell. Um, we, sh- we should also mention about the Rainbow Connection that it was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Song that year and it, it lost lose to... it lost to it goes like it goes from normal ah, chestnut I, I've that... seen uh, Craig Shemin, uh from the Jim Henson legacy and he's also a, a prolific Muppet writer I've seen him do this multiple times when he's introducing events uh, like screenings at the Museum of the Moving Image where he'll mention that little uh tidbit of knowledge and then he'll say okay and now let's all sing together it goes like it goes that's and of course, good. yeah nobody knows how that song goes nobody, nobody remembers that song you know someone knows well somebody out there they have their own their own podcast where they're talking about right now and like 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 you know what it beat out something called right some some muppet song muppet yeah that, they're doing that on the norma ray uh minutes podcast right now uh it's it's this it's the sally field cast (laughs) right that's it well uh yeah and then that that pretty much uh just brings us uh to look what it's and uh and the end of the snippet i do have a few more things about rainbow connection but i think i'm going to save them for next week we can do we can we can have more rainbow connection talk next week 
Yeah. Well, so, I look forward to listening to it. I am. I'm not going to stick around because I've been sitting here for for seven straight days and I'm very tired. I can't blame you. It's going to be great. I'm very much looking forward to that. Okay, so Joe, thanks for being here. Of course, thank you for having me. I had a wonderful time, and I will not be coming back next week. But I hope that I come back someday. We'll see. Thanks. <laughs> All right. And everyone else, thank you for joining us as well. And don't forget to check out toughpigs.com, the website, which is on the internet, as well as Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and all those other things that people do. And join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Bye. Bye. Bye forever. Bye forever.